You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this very special episode of the Down the Pub podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Abbott. In this episode, we're joined by Canadian international and French Faros player, Kem Ezeriki. We are also joined by St. Mary's head coach, Marissa Colsey. Friend of the show, Alex Brook, was kind enough to do us the honor of guest hosting. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. We are joined by Canadian international, Kem Ezeriki, uh, SMU head coach, Marissa Colsey, and ex-pro and journalist, Alex Brook. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Thank you for having us, Anthony. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm delighted to say I get to kick back and put my slippers on as Alex is our guest host for this one. So uh, over to you, Alex. Yeah, um, I'm super excited to be hosting this special episode um, where we get to talk about everything women's soccer. And yeah, we have two great guests on, which I'm excited to have you guys here. One is Kem Ezerike who is originally from right here in Halifax and went on to play professionally in the States, if I'm correct, and then on to Israel with a few stops between. Um, she's also a member of the Canadian national team, which is also very cool. And second is Marissa Colsey, who's the head coach of SMU, St. Mary's University soccer team right here in Halifax. Um, also played and coached in the NCAA, so great to have you both here. And obviously, nice to have you as well, Anthony. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first, I thought I'd just throw it to you, Cam, uh, as I understand um, you are currently playing in Israel, although I'm sure COVID kind of got in the way uh, of that a bit. Um, were you forced back to Canada when that all happened? Um, yeah, so actually, I was in uh, Budapest. Uh, I played in Israel last year. Um, I ended that during the summer. So I went earlier this year to a team called Friday in Budapest and I got injured there like a month in. So I was there uh, doing my rehab. But then once everything with COVID started, um, I thought it was best to come home and continue my recovery here. I'm sorry to hear that. I've also been forced home overseas as well from an injury. So I know the feeling. Um, Yeah. And so before I guess Hungary and Israel, uh, where were you playing? Uh, I did two seasons uh, in Sweden before Israel, and then also two seasons before that in, in the U.S. with Boston. Oh, the Boston Breakers. Yep. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the difference between playing in the United States uh, versus overseas. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even just coming out of college it was a big adjustment the, the u.s team is our league is very physical you know they they're athletes for sure and so just getting adjusted to that when i went over to sweden it was just a different style of play and even just an attitude around uh, the game in general was different and had to get adjusted to but it was a good learning experience um played two seasons in sweden one in the first one in the second so i really got a taste of all the levels so it was good Wow, yeah. And did you, I mean, I've recognized that myself playing in the States, it always seems a bit more physical and athletic. Um, did you find the adjustment even coming from Nova Scotia to playing university there a big jump? Yeah, um, for sure. Again, it, even just like the mindset around uh, the game has been different. So, but it was a good adjustment, one that like I knew I had to make. So I had the right mindset going into it and knew that it'll take a while for me to adjust to the game. But yeah, there definitely is a difference of of the level going yeah. from Nova Scotia to the U.S. for sure. Cool. And uh, what about the national team? When did you start with them? Um, I played a lot with the youth team when I was, I think, like 15 or 16 around there. I started with the youth team. And then I got called in to a couple camps with the national team after the U-20s and stuff. So when I was playing, like my first year playing in the U.S., um, I went to a couple tournaments with them, um, no major tournaments, but it was still a good experience to kind of get my foot in the door a little bit. Nice. Cool. I know, Anthony, I think you had a few questions for Cam about the national team. In in Ireland, there was a kind of a little bit of a scandal a few years ago where the, the women's team were treated a lot different to the men's team, where the women were getting changed in toilets. They had to share track suits. 
Um, do you experience that with the Canadian national team or is everything kind of fair and equal? Um, I mean, from my own experience, uh, I didn't, when I first came in, I didn't really look too much. I was just kind of focused on the playing, but I didn't notice um, that much discrepancy. It was nothing along that lines of, you know, bad changing rooms or things like that. We were treated really well. Um, we were, had the training camp and the residency out in uh, Vancouver. So that was a good experience and to have all the facilities that we needed there. And uh, was was Christine Sinclair there? I have to ask you that. Was Christine Sinclair there? <laughs> yeah, she was. I mean, uh, that was just like amazing. <laughs> what, what's she like? And uh, were you able to talk to her? <laughs> I mean, she's she's a reserved uh, player, um, but I mean, she's very open. If you know, if I needed to ask her something, she'd be open to answer. She's very friendly. But yeah, just to see her play and kind of train in the same environment was was it was very cool. She was at the uh, the sports dinner here a couple of years ago, um, and she gave a speech, and it was incredible to to hear her talk. She's she's quite a person. And um, just my my final question is just uh, how did you end up down in playing for um, Michigan? Like you're in Nova Scotia, how did how did you end up down there? Um, it was actually a first experience I think, or getting noticed by Michigan was we had the, a select team that we created here in Nova Scotia, just a few players, and we went to a, a showcase tournament um, in the Toronto area, and so I got saw seen there, and then also with the under seventeen World Cup, um, just a more exposure there, and so I got in contact with them and you know, with a couple other schools, but then I ended up ultimately choosing this year. Yeah, I love hearing about people's different journeys to playing university soccer. I feel like everybody has <laughs> such a different story. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know, Marissa, you probably have your own. Um, I know a little bit about it, um, specifically about how you got into coaching, but maybe you can just talk a little bit about, you know, where you started and your time coaching in the States and at Simon Fraser. Yeah, I grew up in Windsor, Ontario. Um, so, you know, um, not far from Ann Arbor. Um, and uh, yeah, I grew up always wanting to go to the NCAA. Um, you know, I think at that point, U Sports, uh, it was CIS. There wasn't really, there weren't any scholarships at that point. There wasn't really recruiting done. Um, you know, you usually went to your hometown university. So I wanted a bit of an adventure, um, take myself out of my comfort zone. Luckily, um, you know, caught the eye of a, of a few coaches and ended up going to Coastal Carolina University, um, just outside Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So I uh, had an amazing experience. Didn't know that coaching could be a profession. Grew up around volunteer coaches, amazing coaches, amazing role models, um, and uh, but just didn't know that could be a, a profession until I met my university coach, Carrie Miller, um, still one of my mentors to this day, and she sort of planted the seed in me. Um, graduated with a psychology and English degree, went home a few months in of unemployment. My parents were knocking at my bedroom door saying, what, what's the next step, Marissa? Um, and I thought I wanted to be a sports psychologist. So, you know, I was looking into master's programs and, and things like that. Um, I played two years in the W League. So still, you know, I still wanted to play. Um, just didn't know where I was going to go next. And um, literally a week later, I'd put in my resume to be a graduate assistant at the University of West Georgia. Um, and all pieces fell into place. Uh, after putting my resume in a few hours later, um, I was pretty much being offered the job and went to uh, the University of West Georgia they paid for my master's and I was the assistant coach there for two years. And then um, again, sort of a fork in the road, got a head coaching job at a D3 school in Michigan, Alma College. Um, in that same week, the head coach at the University of West Georgia um, was moving on um, and they offered me the, the gig there. So I stayed there for another seven years. So Nine years in Tolderell at West Georgia, a lot of growing. Um, we built the program um, from the ground up. The, the first year I was there was our inaugural season. So um, it was, yeah, I put a lot of, uh, 
a lot of my heart into that program, loved my time there. And then um, me and at the time, my fiance um, moved to uh, Simon Fraser and it was sort of his, I, I always wanted to come back to Canada. That was uh, one of my end goals. Um, you know, everything that I learned in the States and, um, you know, wanted to bring that home. So um, yeah, when we had the opportunity to come back home and, and go to Simon Fraser, um, I, I definitely was was in for that so um, and being able to talk my American fiance into coming to live in Canada was was a plus as well um, so yeah we went to Simon Fraser and uh, you know I got to be an apprentice under um, Alan Koch who um, you know not long ago was the head coach of Cincinnati FC in the MLS um, he coached uh, in the Whitecaps 2 program um, you know, he's done a lot of great things. And uh, so I was on the men's side for two years at Simon Fraser, which was an amazing experience. Um, you know, something a little different because I had been head coach for so long. Um, so got to, you know, kind of hone my craft a little bit more under a great mentor. Um, and I was on the men's side, something I hadn't done in the collegiate game yet. So, um, you know, not as different as I thought it would be, to be honest. Um, um, but uh, yeah, great experience, made it to the Final Four in the NCAAs, which was an awesome experience, and then uh, had the opportunity to go to UBC um, in 2015, uh, won the national championship there, and I definitely say that was because of Alan Koch and everything I learned in those two years, on top of my other experiences, but I would say that was a huge, um, huge, huge reason for that. And then, um, you know, in a weak moment during right after giving birth to my, my son and I was on mat leave. My husband had the opportunity to be a head, head coach, which he hadn't been. He's, he's in the other football. He's in the pretend football, the American football side of things. So uh, yeah, he, he caught me at a weak moment and I said, okay, I will travel uh, across the country, give up my gig at UBC after winning a national championship and, uh, and follow you to St. Mary. So um, I did. In the end, it worked out beautifully. Um, a, a year later, after Matley was done, got the head coaching uh, job at SMU. And um, yeah, we've been here. This will be my fourth season. So um, yeah, it's been a, it's, I mean, I've, I've been super blessed to see lots of Canada, lots of the U.S. and um, all because of the beautiful game. So that's sort of, that's sort of my story. Awesome. How do you find that the, or how do you find the soccer community in Nova Scotia? Um, maybe it's different than other places you've been, but, um, you know, what is being at SMU kind of added to your career as a coach? Yeah, I think um, the community is just so strong here with regards to, um, you know, if, if you're a, a Husky alum, um, they really back you. Like, you know, you can walk around in some places where there's schools and, you know, you might have on, have on the kid or have on, you know, a jacket and they'll see it. And, you know, they're like, Oh, but here, if, you know, if you're wearing Huskies gear and you're walking around, like people actually recognize that, which is, which is awesome for a student athlete and, and for a coach and the community really does get behind you. I think we're trying to get there with regards to, you know, um, community support and getting, people in the stands other than uh, parents. Uh, and I think we're getting there for sure. One of the great things that, that we had was at the Wanderers pitch, right? So Wanderers grounds, we had the, the Dow versus view game and, you know, um, we're getting, we're getting fans there. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and yeah, I, th I think it's really the community that's here. The Maritimes is a special place. Um, and, uh, and you feel that, um, and that's, it, it trickles down to SMU's campus and, and the people really it goes it, it comes down to the people um so yeah we're we're really loving it here nice and Cam maybe you can speak to that as well being from Nova Scotia um I don't know what club you played for growing up maybe you could speak on that a bit but when you come back do you see how things have changed here with like the grassroots community up to you know U17-18 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's been a while since I played. Um, I think I was like 17, maybe, since I played in the local league. Uh, uh, I grew up playing with uh, Scotia, which is kind of now suburban, I think. And did a little bit with Halifax City as well, a season or two. Um, but yeah, it's been like when I came back and saw even just how the whole league's from the youth all the way up is organized. Um, it was confusing at first. <laughs> Usually there's just like A and B, but now there's like triple A, triple A. So it, it's, a, but it's cool to see that there's so many, there's different leagues, there's different levels and, you know, there's a lot of people playing the game. So that was just cool to see. And, you know, it was nice to see that the league is still going. Cause you know, a lot of times um, I've seen just the cross Canada league, the W league, a lot of t- big teams were folding just to see that that's still kind of going here you still have people playing um it was good to see good to go back come back and watch some of the games as well see some old friends playing I feel like we're all maybe a bit tired of talking about COVID now but um I guess you're saying you know it's good to see these leagues are still there but you know we talk about the WPS and I mean the United States has so many leagues that have folded over and over and the conversation right now during COVID is that you know women's sport and women's soccer are kind of at risk of falling through the cracks um, just with everything being on pause. Um, I know I've, I think, I think the LA galaxy Academy, the women's side recently uh, folded. And I think there's more going on in the UK, which is, it's kind of sad to see. So I both, this question is to both of you. Um, You know, what do you think about the effect COVID will have on women's soccer? Do you think that'll be a change for the better or worse? Um, yeah, uh, it's tough. Uh, you know, I think we need to remember like everywhere is getting hit hard and just remember when things come back, um, not to forget about women's soccer. We need to still have the interest, the support, and even more than other men's leagues because um, we are hit harder. Um, it does affect us a little, like the women's side a little bit more. So it's important that, you know, the fans, the players, everyone's still kind of like, you and Marissa talked about that community that everyone kind of gathers around and supports these teams because it's really important when things get back up again that they're really going to need the support. Yeah, I'd say, you know, the same, right? Um, I mean, just just every everyone's being hit, regardless, male or female. But, of course, who will take the brunt of it when they're trying to rebuild um, leagues, right? Will be the, the first cut will be, um, unfortunately, the female league, right? Um, but seeing the value in it and, you know, um, I think right now is, you know, if for some reason, right, leagues have to fold, then the silver lining is okay. We're working from the ground up and, you know, if that didn't work before, how can we really, um, you know, make things happen again? The WNBA is a great example of that, right? It's been ongoing, right? It's, it's mirrored with the NBA as well, right? They, they give it help. They see value in it, um, you know, and, and it's still going strong. So, um, you know, maybe again, um, I'm not an economist. I'm not, you know, in the trenches with regards to any of that, but, um, just seeing value for a society to show, you know, male and female athletes, male and female, anything really, um, just brings so much value. So I hope, yeah, we don't get lost in, um, lost in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, it, it feels like, an opportune time to, you know, restructure these organizations and clubs in a more equitable way. And, you know, I wouldn't, I don't want to see any of them go under, but if it does mean building back up from the ground, then like you said, that'd be, that's important. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Anthony. Uh, yeah, just, just, just a little thing. Um, obviously like talking about the Halifax Wanderers have been really successful here. And you were mentioning about Dal and this new game at the Wanderers ground. Like, how can how can women's soccer attract women out to watch the game? Because it always seems to be geared towards men watching it. It's the same with the WNBA. It's always how can we get men to watch our product? Why do we, why does the game need men to go and watch it? Why can't you get why can't we get women more interested in the sport and have them go out? Like so, what do you think they need to do to gear the the product towards women fans rather than just depending on men uh, to to go out to the games? you know yourself men can be assholes to make fun of the game when you know it should be women who are supporting the game and not depending on men to to, to keep things going 
I think just showing that uh, that women are being supportive in is supported in some way, right? Um, so again, maybe on the field the product is male, um, but I showcasing the fact that Marie Soleil Bodwin has been the center at some Wanderers games, right? Like, so those are things we can sort of highlight and be like, okay, um, yes, it's a, a men's league, right? A men's professional league, but, um, you know, there's still, we're still there. We can still see ourselves there in other capacities. So, um, you know, and then, I mean, Again, this is very premature, um, but I have heard um, from um, some executives and, um, you know, talking with uh, Carmelita Moscato that there's, you know, talks of the CPL looking to build a, a, a women's league as well. Um, so, you know, even just having that on the table, right? So let's support this because we're going to invest in a women's league. I mean, I think yeah, you'd be more apt to support it, right? Like, okay, let's get this off and running and, and really support it, um, you know, as, as, uh, as women. And then they're going to, you know, hopefully build a league for, for us as well. Um, I think that would be a huge, huge thing too. And then we could get Kem back and she'd play in the CPL and she'd be our star. <laughs> Be back for sure. Doesn't matter what age. I'm <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> hey, come on. Uh, D, you know, Matheson's like 36. You can do this. Come yeah, on, exactly. Tom. You got so, lots of years left. <laughs> yeah, a lot in the tank still going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so um, just kind of kicking in there with the, the CPL stuff, do you think it would have been a better idea for them to build both together? Um, like, because like, the, the women's game in Canada is huge. It's it's way bigger than what the men's game is. But, but to me, it would have made sense to kind of do both together and to get everybody involved rather than just focusing in on the men. I think it would have been a good idea for both. Do you think that's something they should have done? And like, where do you see where do you see the the league coming from? Like, who's going to back it? Do you think like what the same cities or do they should bring it to different other uh, to other cities? Um, I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, in my opinion, that they did the men's first, as long as, they, you know, they talked, Amersa talked about having that discussion of bringing women's teams there. I think that's important. Um, again, just with the Halifax Warners, you can see that there is a market there. There is a football market there. And the fact that the men's are doing so well. So I think it's, it's the next step. It's okay. Yeah, you bring the men on and have their league established and then the next step is to bring the women along. It doesn't necessarily need to have both at the same time, but as long as it, that's in the works and that's in the plan and that's the goal um, for these cities and clubs, whether it's the same cities or different cities. Um. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, ideally, right, uh, in a perfect world, yeah, like, let's build them together um, and sort of work that in the, um, you know, the bottom line. But again, unfortunately, it's not a perfect world. And, um, you know, I think they wanted to establish this league. Um, and I think they had a they did a very good job, right, um, with regards to their markets, where they went within Canada and um, got a lot of local backing. Um, you know, I think right now it is scary um, because, you know, some of the ownership groups are involved in the CFL as well. And that's, you know, um, struggling a bit. But but I think if if we can get over this hurdle, um, you know, I think it's a definite possibility that, uh, you know, they can start uh, building a, a Canadian league. And like you said, the Canadian women's soccer team has been the face of Canada soccer for years and years and years and literally years. Like Charmaine Hooper, like there's, I can't name you you know, a handful of men's national team, unfortunately or fortunately, um, players, you know, but I could name you a hundred of, you know, a hundred uh, Canadian women's national players. And I think that's, um, you know, not just myself. I think that's a lot of people. I think the men's team is 
making huge strides, right? Um, you know, but uh, yeah, we've been the, the the female team has been the face for so long. So, and if you can right now sort of hone in on some of the players that may be looking to retire from the national team but still have a few good years left right when the women's cpl is coming just like the mls does with the premiership right they're bringing over these huge names um you know that's that could be such a draw like who doesn't want to see who cares if christine sinclair is 43 you still want to see her play she's still got it right like so once you know because there is that that group of players um that still have have some years left um you know playing in their prospective leagues um but right at the end when you know we need those big names um yeah i think it yeah, I think it could, it could, it could really work. Let's, let's hope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been in talks and again, I'm not in the, in the boardroom, but I think it's hopefully closer than, than we even know. Yeah. I would love to see a league come here. I think that would be, that'd be really cool. I know what I was going to say, I, I wish that Canada soccer did more with their national team. Just like they are loved by this country and like Sinclair is like, national hero but um I just sometimes I wish they did more in terms of like their social media or like where fans can really like get to know the players more um I know the U.S. women's team has done like a really good job of that um and sometimes so I, I do wish that Canada would do that so we can have more of a relationship with those players even if it is you know through our phones I think what you were saying about having some of those players who are you know close to retirement come play in that league I think that would really really bolster it and get people out to games. Yeah, I think in American culture, in general, it's just all about media, right? Like they they do such a good job. Like, you know, the, the little stories they do, um, you know, personal pieces or, um, yeah, they do a great job of that. Um, you know, and I think, um, yeah, even on Canada, I think they're starting to a little bit, um, you know, and, and maybe that's because they're trying to introduce this new wave on the men's side. Um, but hopefully they, you know, um, don't forget about, yeah, the face that they've had for all these years. And, um, you know, because they are doing some every other Wednesday, they're now doing a um, on the women's side, they just had um, the head coach on Henrik. He, he was on last Wednesday. Two Wednesdays ago, they had get to know um, a, a few of the players. Um, so they're, I think they're getting there. But yeah, like you said, like I mean, again, uh, the on the USA women's national team, I know just as many players on their team as I do on Canada and I'm Canadian, right? But it's just their media that infiltrates us with all of the stories. And yeah, like I grew up with the 99ers, right? Like, which, yeah, why do I know that? I shouldn't know that, but I do, right? Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I think hopefully we're, we're getting there, but yeah. And especially with social media, it doesn't take much, right? Um, with regards to it's all free PR. <laughs> You see, they're making a movie about the 99ers. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about it. But <laughs> I think every kid, or you too, but everyone that was like in the 90s in the soccer world is so pumped for that movie. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we have women's soccer has so much going for them. Um, just people need to see that, like, you know, they, there is so much value in it. So, um, and it's, it's a great game to watch. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully Canada um, starts a pro league. That would be pretty amazing. I think, um, I think it's also the Canadians are way more reserved, I think, than what uh, people from the States are. And that probably feeds into that. We want to respect the player's privacy and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in the States, if you're a superstar, you're going to have a camera shoved in your face 24 seven. So that's right. probably a too but I totally agree I mean like Christine Sinclair is like you know she's a Ronaldo she's a, a Maradona right. Pele and it, she's not marketed properly in the state right. of whatsoever like we don't take advantage of it right. um, and it's definitely something that we need to kind of up our game a little bit <laughs> yeah for sure 
And would a pro league in Canada bring you back to play? Uh, probably, honestly, <laughs> at that point, you know, I've been, I've been to many cities and stuff. So it'd be, I mean, that's the one thing, I mean, like I have a lot of friends from different countries, you know, and just to see like their experience playing in their home country, like in their hometowns, it's, it's amazing. And like, I want that for Canadian players, Canadian female players, like just having, growing up and looking that, Hey, like I can play professionally in my hometown, like in my backyard. I think that's, it's, it's so important, especially where Canadian national team is now. Um, they're doing well. They're ranked pretty well. Um, it's just, it's just the next step. It's something we need to see. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you and I, I think are probably similar age and I feel like I grew up and, you know, we didn't really have that opportunity. We didn't have that to really like, we didn't dream about playing pro because there was nobody to play for. Um, and I feel like that's totally changing, you know, players like you that have gone over to like Europe to play, you know, it shows that it's possible, but I think having a domestic league would be, be huge for the women's game and, you know, young girls playing. It kind of makes you wonder like how many great players are falling by the wayside in, in the fact that they, there's nowhere for them to play really in Canada. Like not everybody has the guts to, because it's, it's scary, right? When you want to go play abroad somewhere in Europe or wherever, it's just um, like if they had a league here in their own to go to, I, I think we'd see like an even better Canadian national team if we had people being able to play at home. Absolutely. I think even like you said, it can be nerve wracking. I know a lot of players who've gone away and just didn't like the experience. It was too much of a culture shock. So I think just having that in their back mind, they might prolong it a little more, you know, you might see a little more, you know, dedication or keeping up with the game. And you never know what's going to come with that. You know, there's players who may not go into the national team until later on, and that's really where they blossom. So I think that like you said there definitely could be some players who are kind of falling through the cracks because we don't have that structure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What you're saying about, you know, players that the idea of, you know, players develop at different rates and they hit their prime or their peak at different ages. I know that I peaked much later. So like, you know, when, scouts or national team coaches you know are looking they're looking at the young players right but I think a lot of players they don't really fully hit their form until they're in their 20s usually so you, it also makes me wonder you know how many players are being missed out on and I don't know if there's in a way to accommodate that or you know what structural changes would need to happen but like I understand that's probably like a pretty big you know, thing to consider when you have this national program covering such a big country. Yeah, I think a big thing is just uh, like the exposure. I mean, um, I don't, I mean, I'm not into the coaching realm, but obviously if you're looking at a player, it might be hard to, you know, if they're playing in Iceland or some other country to kind of get video on them as opposed to like maybe a local channel or on the internet to get games that they're playing here so I think having more games locally and in country is easier to for the scouting process for the national team yeah jumping I think back to we were talking a bit about um you know the U.S. national team Canadian national team it's a bit hard to compare them obviously but um one thing I'm pretty tuned into right now is uh, the U.S. Women's National Team gender discrimination lawsuit that's going on. Um, I don't know if you guys have really been following that, but um, it was filed last year, I believe, by the players uh, against the U.S. Soccer Federation, basically claiming that the Federation violated, one, the Equal Pay Act uh, by paying them less than the men, and two, discriminated against them um, under Title IX. Uh, and this recently, I mean, it's been all in all my feeds and in my communities being talked about um, just because the judge ruled in favor of the Federation in early May. Um, I know, Marissa, you and I spoke a little about Title IX in the past. Um, so I don't know if you can explain that a little bit with that context. Um, with regards to um, like the lawsuit or just title nine in general yeah just title nine in general i think you can do it better 
Well, just really that, um, you know, and it started within the education system, right? You can't be discriminated against due to your gender, right? Male and female. And that worked itself, um, you know, worked itself into athletics as well, right? Within the school systems. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's one of the best things that, uh, the NCAA ever um, that's ever happened really um, you know because even in Canada um, you know we don't have really anything um, like that we obviously do have you know laws against discrimination and things like that but not one specific um, you know um, yeah, title like Title Nine that would that would zone into that, and I think um, you know with regards to that lawsuit, um, you know it's definitely heartbreaking that uh, you know it was denied. I know they're allowed to go go on with their. Um, part of it uh, the judge denied one part and said they could uh, move forward with the um, I think. Uh, discriminatory working conditions, I believe, is what they're allowed to move forward with. Um, you know, again, yeah, it, from the outside in, you're like, how, like, how is this even a thing, right? Like, again, like, the United States women's soccer team has won back-to-back -back World Cups. They play, you know, like, they sell out stadiums all the time. They're, again, the face of the federation, and yet their federation isn't supporting them. I do know they've, you know, bolstered a lot of support from a lot of important people. And, I mean, the, the head of the USSF resigned. Now Cindy Parlo-Cohn is um, the president now, who is a 99er. So hopefully, you know, hopefully good things are on the horizon. But that mm -hmm. was definitely a big blow with uh, being denied that, um, you know, that lawsuit. Uh, I know they're um, – so they – they sign their collective bargaining agreement or whatnot, their contract in essence, and that goes till 2021. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully at that point, if they can't sooner, hopefully that's the point of like, you know, um, this is, this is where we're at. Cause yeah, I just, again, I'm, yeah, I, I, I am like awestruck that this is like a reality, um, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I think the saddest part for me that came out of that was, it was a bit earlier on where one of the the lawyers for the U.S. Soccer Federation, were, their argument was that the women don't deserve as much because they're not as good. That was right. the argument they were using. And right. since then, I think they fired those lawyers and kind of... Right, yeah, a lot thing. of backlash, yeah. yeah. But like, that was pretty alarming. Um, and also just the support that that idea got was right. also a little bit alarming. Right, right, um, right, right. Yeah, I guess for those who don't know much about this is a lot of the arguments is that, well, the women were offered the same contract as the men because mm. they all, they do their negotiations separately. But one thing that's come up is that the women didn't receive the same offer. Um, they were offered the same structure, which is right. kind of deceiving. Um, right. Because under that structure, which is like a pay for play, they're paid by how many games they're playing, essentially, um, they were offered a lower earnings ceiling for that and less bonuses. Right. Um, and also, like, if you do the numbers, technically the U.S. team, the, the women's team made more than the men, but they also played a lot more games. So there's a lot right. that's kind of hidden in this, and um, I know I've just found it a little bit frustrating following it. Um, and also, you know, in the women's game, they're like, Cam, you know yourself playing professionally, it's – not, there's not a lot of security in it. There's not a lot of stability. So I think that they negotiated their contracts with that in mind, thinking, well, you know, what if women's soccer goes down the drain? Um, you know, we they wanted benefits like childcare, healthcare, things that, you know, maybe a man wouldn't have to think about necessarily. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I don't know if you guys have been following that. Cam, I'll throw it at you if you have anything you'd like to add. Yeah, um, I've seen like the bits and pieces of it. And as Marissa said, it, you just kind of sit there and you're like, wow, like how is this, how is this mindset even like getting traction? Um, you know, out of all the teams, like the success that the U.S. Team, women's team has had, like 
they deserve it. They deserve everything that they're asking for. And it's just unfortunate that they're getting this much, this much resistance from it. And you just hope that there'll come a day where everyone's going to see the light and they get to, they get what they deserve. Let's be honest here. The men's team in the States sucks. They're, they're awful. <laughs> I mean, they haven't been performing well for a long time. Like, as Marissa said, like the, the U.S. women's national team has won two World Cups back-to-back. They're all superstars. They're amazing players and stuff like that. And to be treated that way is disgusting, to be perfectly honest. And uh, it's totally and utterly ridiculous to me as to why the Federation would then try and fight back against them. It's, it just smacks of really uh, just, just really bad PR for, for starters. And it, it just makes zero sense to me. It's just, you know, you're going to stop people from getting involved in the game by, by treating the people this way. Because like, it's not, they're not asking for any more when they should be because they're way better than the men's team. They're just asking for the same, the same pay. And why they'd want to fight that it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. I, it all baffles me a little bit, you know, I'm like, what is it that has people convinced that, you know, women's soccer is somehow less than, or just like less popular and therefore deserve less money. Um, I find it a bit hard to wrap my head around personally. Well, you can kind of see, you can kind of see like on the chat shows, like when they're, they're, they're looking for like women's soccer players to go on. Like, like Jimmy Kimmel isn't that concerned about, that many American male players to come on and talk on the show because they're not news. They're, they're, they're not the greatest, to be honest. Let's be fair. And it's, it, it just makes, it's just such a really, it's a public relations disaster. And I just, I don't understand like what, what they think they're going to get out of like by holding back a little bit of money. It makes zero sense to me. What do you think about uh, Megan Rapino for vice pres? <laughs> I keep seeing that floating around. I've seen that a few times as well, you know, <laughs> getting some support for that. Yeah. As, uh, as Trump's vice president? <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine? <laughs> Gosh. Marissa, <laughs> uh, um, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I just, you know, it's... It's, it really is just sad. I mean, they're, again, they're doing the same job. So this is, this is also, if you want to, they're doing the same job. I mean, I, I think Alex, I had mentioned that in, um, you know, when we had spoke before, like soccer's the same male and female, you're playing the exact same game. Right. So, um, you know, they're playing a 90 minute game. They should be paid the exact amount as a male paying a 90 minute game because they're playing the same game. All the other factors are just outside elements and variables that have nothing to do with the actual game. So if you're paying a player to perform in a 90 minute soccer game, then they should be paid the same regardless of the gender, right? Like that's part of the beautiful game it's it's the same a male can play it and a female can play it the goals are the same the size of the ball is the same the pitch is the same the amount of time you play is the same there is no difference um, if a male or a female is playing the game as opposed to some other sports so yeah it should um you know but apparently some other people have been fooled and uh you know but hopefully one day um people wake up and and realize there's value in um in the female game right um in in the game so um you know and that's what that's what you're sending like you the bottom line is you are not valuing females as much as you value males. And that's that's the saddest part for young females growing up, right? This federation, this, you know, they don't value me as much as they value my brother. And that's, that's sad. That's well said. Um, Cam, I guess, continuing on like being paid as a soccer player, um, I'm sure you have different experiences in different countries with different contracts. Um, do you find that, you know, playing soccer as a woman is a viable way to make a living? Uh, it's definitely hard, um, for sure. Um, at this point, I wouldn't say uh, uh, it's doable, um, especially, but also to kind of the pay system 
depending on the country is different. Like even when I was in Sweden, it's technically semi-professional um, just because a lot of the domestic players, they're not getting paid much. They have second jobs. They're working full-time, part-time, whatever it is to supplement um, what they're getting from the club. Um, so yeah, it's definitely hard. I know a lot of players who retired early just because it's not sustainable. Um, it's hard to, you know, um, have a com be comfortable in that lifestyle, um, getting the pay. So it's it's sad. So again, like you see players that are just kind of, you know, not continuing on. So it's just, it's something that needs to be addressed for sure. Um, Cause it, yeah, it definitely needs to change. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned about Sweden. I, when I was playing still, I was offered a contract to play in Sweden, but they said, you also have to have another job, but working on like a tomato farm. Yeah. <laughs> like, cool. Okay. Yeah. They, they come up with everything, you know, it, it could be a farm, a school or something. Someone offered me, Hey, you can work in a school, like with the kids. And I was like, I don't know Swedish. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to like work out. They're like, no, no, it's fine. It never worked out. I never went. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of think that's like something that maybe a lot of people don't know because they hear like women's soccer, they might hear the big names who like probably don't have a second job, but the reality is the majority of women playing professional soccer, especially in Europe, they have a another job. Yeah. Like, when I was playing in Serbia, lots of the girls had other jobs and yeah. they were sleeping like five people in a room, six people in a room in this tiny apartment. And like, I felt like I was treated like gold being yeah. a foreigner, which yeah. is like not really what I expected, but yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. It's, you know, the foreign players, you know, they're, they do, they do a little bit more to make them comfortable, but you see, like half the team at least, um, they're working and they're still coming to training, still coming in the mornings and still putting in the same work. So it's unfortunate that they're not, you know, able to get the same benefits as everyone else. Yeah. So is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo like a part-time strawberry picker? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's absolutely nuts that they would expect you to go picking tomatoes. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's very common though. <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to, you know, if someone wrote a book or something and like looked at all the different jobs that like female professional soccer players have in their spare time. Yeah. It would be, you get a, an interesting read. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about some of the, a lot of the issues and inequalities in women's soccer and, um, you know, particularly during coming out of COVID. Um, but I know there's a lot of great stuff happening too. So I think that's worth talking about and hearing about. Um, I know right now there is an opportunity for women's soccer to gain momentum and push forward. Um, so I guess, Marissa, is there anything you're doing at SMU or like in the soccer community in Halifax to grow the game and, you know, promote the support of women's soccer? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Personally, one of my missions um, has always been to get more female coaches involved um, throughout my, uh, let's say, 16-ish um, year coaching career, collegiate coaching career. I've had 14 female assistant coaches. Um, not that I'm against having a male assistant. I have had them as well. But I definitely make it, um, you know, I'm conscious about having either former players jump back in and, and be assistant coaches um, or, or other, um, other female uh, coaches in, in the area. Um, I just think, you know, Again, as cliche as it sounds, if you can see it, you can be it, right? So, um, you know, I I want um, I want young young girls to um, you know be coached by um, females um, at some point in their career. There's just too many young. There's too many female soccer players that have never in their whole career been coached by a female coach, and that's like. Yeah, like that's crazy to me, right? Like, so how can you expect, you know, um, them to even want a female coach because it's so unknown? Um, so, yeah, I just think, um, I think for me, that's one of my personal missions, um, you know, just trying to get my team out in the community. Um, we did a fall um, a fall, um, like mini sort of, uh, season, just some, some weekend, uh, sessions with Halifax City Soccer Club. Um, and I really made it a point, um, 
you know, because unfortunately, when you see the makeup of, of the groups, there's always, you know, it's 70-30, it's right? There's 30% little girls out there as opposed to the 70% boys. Um, so I made it a point, right? Uh, you know, girls, make sure you go and you really talk to these little, little aspiring uh, Christine Sinclair. So, um, you know, just trying to get in, out in the community, um, make sure people know that, uh, you know, um, we're really trying to get little girls involved in the game um, and really keep them in the game that's the biggest thing right and it's just about uh, the first experience you only have one first impression right so um, if if they have a good one they're they're obviously more apt to, to stay in the game so yeah that's uh, that's what we're doing right now you know we're we're doing a lot of Zoom calls and staying connected in that way. Um, so, you know, I have players from across the country. Um, and, and, yeah, that's sort of how we're, we're staying connected. Do you know what's going to happen with the season? I do not. Um, you know, right now anything's on the table and everything's off the table. So it's just uh, a matter of time, um, you know, SMU has said they'll announce if we're going online or in class um, July 1st. So we've we've really delayed it. We didn't make a decision um, early. Some schools have. Um, we do every other week. We do a AUS call with all the head coaches. So that's great. We're all staying connected and, and just sort of telling each other what we've heard from ADs, things like that. So, um, but yeah, nothing nothing concrete has been said we are trying to uh, put together I'm on a little subcommittee um, um, we're trying to put together just a plan in case the ADs come to us right a B C and D these are the plans right I mean we're everything's on the table we're even up for playing you know winter season like you know um, Graham at St. Effects, Alex, uh, he's talked about there's a new plow we can get. Let's get the snow off the pitches and, and get out there. So he loves snow yeah, plowing fields. Exactly. We're we're not uh, we're not giving up on uh, our 2020 season. Uh, you know, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, nothing nothing concrete yet. Um, so just status quo at the moment. Love it. Wow. And Cam, do you have plans for what's next for you once you're done rehabbing? Um, not concrete yet. Um, I'm in a long rehab, so I probably won't be back to playing fully till the end of this year, maybe early next year. Um, so just kind of wait until see then and maybe get a chance with my old old team. So it's, it's again, it's a waiting game. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, I would probably be still there. Um, but yeah. It's a wait-and-see kind of game, as it always is. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's a good time to get injured, but I guess maybe this was a good time. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that too, and I was like, I'll take it. You know, um, I usually have some, you know, FOMO missing out on the game, but now that everything is kind of <laughs> – everyone's not playing, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was really looking forward to a summer season. I'm bummed. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like, uh, Ken, that you probably have a job at SMU when you retire as an assistant head coach. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that something that you'd be looking to get into? When, uh, once you're, uh, obviously, I'm not saying it's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, is that something that you'd like to get into? I've been asked this a lot and told, but I just, I don't know. I feel like I don't have the personality uh, to be a good coach. I don't know. Um, I always, you know, sometimes when I'm home, I jump in uh, and help out, but yeah, as of right now, it's not, not <laughs> unfortunately, not on the list. Um, I, I just had a quick question for Marissa as well. Um, so as you mentioned there about like uh, female coaches and stuff like that, like it, it kind of starts at the top. Like the, the the women's team is coached by a man. Phil Neville is the coach of the English uh, women's team, and in the states they've got a man as well. So what 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 does the game need to do to get women coaching? So what 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 needs to change? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, this is, this is uh, a multi-layered question, but just, um, you know, giving females a chance. We're more than capable of uh, coaching at the same level as any male, in my opinion. And I mean, as you saw, the USA won two World Cups with a female head coach. Um, you know, I think it's just about... Um, investing in female coaches, right? And consciously saying, okay, 
we see value in a female coach. So, um, you know, we're going to put the time in. Um, and I think Rianne Wilkinson, right, they are. John Herdman has made an effort and has said, you know, I would like a female um, to be coaching the Canadian women's national team. So that's been said. It's just about, you know, um, getting the coaches there and um, giving them a chance, right? Um, and and I think that's that's... I mean, the, the simplistic uh, answer, there's a lot of other factors um, that factor in, right? Uh, me and Alex had talked about it. You know, you hire who you look like um, as well. Um, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of people in the boardroom are men, right, at the top of associations. Um, so it's what they're comfortable with. Um, but, yeah, I think it's first just uh, seeing value in female coaches and then investing in them. Um, and then I think, uh, I think they can shine for sure. Awesome. Um, just a tiny little follow-up, sorry. So you, you did coach – you did the opposite and you kind of coached a men's team. Um, so when you were starting off, like how, how did you approach it? Because obviously there's women down the road who'll probably want to do the same thing. How did you approach your first training session of like how you're going to get your points across and make sure that the guys respected you? Yeah, again, I think that started from the top and I think that's why, you know, with any team, it's going to take time to earn respect, right? Um, you know, they're going to want to know, you know, <laughs> and um, that you can hold your ground. And then about building those personal relationships, right? The bottom line, male or female, if they know you care about them, they're going to respond, right? Hopefully positively. So, um, you know, and it started from the top, like Alan Koch, um, you know, slowly integrated me in like any assistant, right? You're not, I'm not going to run a session my first day, um, you know, but uh, yeah. And I think the more they saw that I do know what the heck I'm talking about, the more they, uh, you know, started listening and, you know, um, again, that, that starts from the top, right? Um, he, coach coach Koch was you know I'm a part of the coaching staff and and gave me that respect and and therefore the the guys respected me and um you know so yeah it was a, it was a great environment and I think I know it's it's an unknown and a lot of females I think it's getting better but yeah at this point the norm is we have uh, 50% of the opportunities that male coaches have so the more that we can sort of start uh crossing lines, I guess. Um, yeah, I think uh, the better off we'll be. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how I built, built those relationships there at, at Simon Frazier. Yeah, I was just saying that, uh, that sounds like a great place to wrap it up. Um, it's been a really great and insightful conversation. Um, I appreciate you all being here. And all the best to you, Cam, with your uh, rehab. Um, Thank you. And to you, Marissa, figuring out your university season amidst a pandemic <laughs> thanks thanks yeah and anthony thank you for allowing me to host it's very fun oh it was, it was awesome thank you thank you so much everybody for for hanging out it's kind of nice here and a different side of the game so so thank you all for that thanks for having us yes thank you for sure Cam, hold on hold on one yeah. second look what i have in my closet hold oh on. gosh oh boy <laughs> what's going on I'm nervous I'm now. I'm scared. <laughs> that's that's is that a that's the team. Fetish Varush is funny, yeah. which you play for. This is the team I support in Budapest. Yes. Oh, yeah. How that's funny awesome. is that? Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. When you said funny, say, I'm like, oh my gosh. I got one too. One sec. That is so <laughs> funny. That's Small funny. world. Holy that is. So cool. That is oh. awesome. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yes. For sure, I'd have to support him now. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> yep. Wow. That is so cool. But like, what are the chances of that? No, seriously. Like, some... oh, that's so funny. Okay, if we ever meet in person, Cam, I have a jersey, too, that's signed by one of the men's teams. I forget what year. I'm going to get you to sign it. <laughs> yeah. I really want to sign it. That's yeah, awesome. That would be awesome. All right. Sweet. Too oh, I funny. love that. that. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We're, we're all happy? we're all Farage Faros fans now. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Got some new fans. Exactly. <laughs> love it. I'm wearing this around now. I'm bringing this out. Yeah. Be like, what's that? I'm like, uh, 
Come plays for that team. Are you kidding it's me? It's the new team. Everyone it, get on it. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love it. So uh, take care, guys. That was awesome. <laughs> Have a good one. Take care. Thank you. See you. Thank you. See you guys. Thank you so much to our guests this week, Kem Ezeriki and Marissa Colsey. Also, special thanks to guest host Alex Brook for doing such a great job. Thank you to all our listeners. Your support really does mean a lot to us. We have some exciting changes in the works and we can't wait for you to see them. If you can leave us a review, we would really appreciate it as it helps us improve the show. Please don't forget to subscribe at downthepub.ca so you never miss an episode. And until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Down The Pub Podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.